0: scroll podcast we are a university fellowship church podcast where we get together and chew on god's word this week we have craig mcdonald craig what is your official title
1: my official title is pastor to pastor
0: that's what i thought it was so craig here is the pastor of Pastors. he looks after the staff and we love him for it so craig today what are you chewing on
1: The book of Acts. I am prepping a series of lessons that I will do on video on the end of October. And I'm prepping those lessons. And in doing that, I've been spending extra time in the book of Acts and the chronology of the book. Uh, Not the pieces, but the whole, the forest, not the trees. So, yeah, Acts. What do you find? Some interesting stuff that is not new to me, um, but I've gone back to an, oh, yeah. You know, sometimes that happens. Um, And specifically, the outline for the book. When I was growing, I grew up in church. I don't remember not being in the Bible. I grew up in a a very Bible-centered church. And so from Sunday school on, you learn pieces, you learn stories from the Bible. You never look at the big picture much. You go to Sunday school and you get the David and Goliath, and the next week you get Noah, and you have no idea how it all fits together. And when you go to the New Testament, you learn about some books and some passages, but you never take a look back up and take a look at a whole book and how it's structured. So what I've been doing is going back, not for the first time in my life, but going back to look at the structure of the book of Acts. And I think there's some pretty interesting stuff in there. Okay. So give us give us the overview of Acts. What are you okay. finding? So first of all, we have to understand that Acts is volume two. It was written by Luke. Most people figure out pretty quickly that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, but, but he never says, Hi, my name's Luke, and now I'm writing the book of Acts. Sure. But as we read the book, we realize, not this is the same guy. And in fact, um, he starts out in the book of Acts, he didn't call it a book, he starts it out by saying, Hey, Theophilus, I wrote bef- Theophilus is the guy to whom... The Gospel of Luke was addressed. Okay. It's the only one of the four Gospels addressed to an individual. Interesting. By the name of Theophilus. We don't know much about him. Theophilus is also the recipient of the book of Acts. And it says that in the introduction. And he says, In my former book, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, I'm going to write some more stuff to you. So, the book of Acts is volume 2. The the Gospel of Luke is volume one, written by the same person to the same person. Um, There is this whole field of biblical study called introduction. Uh, And it is the field of study that when I introduce person A to person B, I try to give them a little bit of information. Um, and, And in this case, in biblical introduction, it's the same thing. Who, what, when, where, how, and why? Who wrote this book? And to whom was it written? When was it written? Uh, Where did the people live who received it? And where did the author live at the time that it was written? Some things like that. The basic W questions. That is called biblical introduction. And so, in fact, you can go to a Christian bookstore or you can go to my library shelves and you will see New Testament Introduction or Old Testament Introduction. And those are books that don't talk about the content of the book. That's a commentary. These books address who wrote the book, to whom, when, where, how, and why. Okay. And give you that for each of the books of the Old Testament or the New Testament.
0: A quick question. So, uh, for somebody who's hearing this for the first time, why do we need to know any of that information?
1: Because, let's pick, for example, 1 Corinthians. What's the setting of that book? It's easy to figure out who wrote it, if you believe in the inspiration of Scripture, because Paul says, hi, my name's Paul, and I'm writing you guys (laughs) um, to the church in Corinth. So we've got the who part figured out already. But if we ask why he was writing it, what we do is a little detective work, and we read the book, and we sort of reverse engineer. If this is what he said... If he talks about lawsuits, if he talks about immorality, there must, why did he write that? There must have been some problem like that in the church. And we kind of backward engineer, and it gives us typically some insight into what's going on. And when he talks about, hey, I'm on my way to this city, then we can place it on a timeline, and we know the circumstances that are the background. So just like knowing a little bit about someone helps me understand them better, Knowing some of this background information helps me understand the book better, and nowhere is that as true as it is in the Book of Acts.
0: Okay, you've got me hooked. Now you gotta tell me why that's true. So I'm gonna give you some statistics.
1: Um, let's take let's take Peter. Oh, first of all, l- 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 let's do it this way. Everybody that reads the book pretty much easily comes to the conclusion that the book divides up into three sections. Not of equal length. There are 28 chapters in the book. Hang on to that number, 28. That chapters 1 to 8 are a section. Chapters 13 to 28 are a section. And in between, chapters 9 to 12 are a transition. Those two big sections are very, very different. And chapters 9 to 12 are a transition between those two very different sections. And we'll illustrate the difference between those two big parts by doing a little statistical work. We'll take the name Peter. How many times does it occur in chapters 1 to 8? Oh, let me just pull this out of the okay. back. Yeah. Uh-huh. What do you got? Let's take take a guess.
0: How many times does the name Peter show up in the first eight chapters? First eight chapters.
1: Mm, let's go 15. 21. Ah. How many times does it show up in the last big section, 13 to 28? Five. One. One. Okay, I was going in the right direction. How many times does Paul's name, and we'll go Paul or Saul, same guy, two different names. How many times is he referred to in the first eight chapters? One. Three. Three. Okay. But all within the span of about three verses. Okay. How many times does his name occur in the last section? 13 to 28. Let's go big. 30. 150. Whoa! 150. Okay. Now, that's that's pretty simplistic because it doesn't account for all the he's and his and uh, and those kinds of indirect references. Peter went to the house of and he said, okay, we're not counting the he as a separate. But just with the name, you it, the the." The imbalance is obvious.
0: Yeah. It's certainly interesting uh, coming, you know, when Paul's writing an epistle, you know, Paul's the author, Paul's probably a big player in the text, but Luke is writing this account and he's shifted seemingly the attention in the first half and the second half from Peter to Paul. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. And Peter would have been his buddy. They were disciples together. Yes. So Paul's this new player, and he's like, we're going to pay attention However, to this. Okay. Um, However,
1: the other half of that is that um, Luke was an associate of Paul and traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys. Okay. Um, the other thing that's different when you stop and think about it is when Paul writes First Corinthians or any of his letters, it's kind of a first person. He's writing for himself. Here we've got Luke, who's a third-party observer, writing a, from an outside perspective about these two guys. Is it coincidence that we have this imbalance that Peter goes from 21 times to 1 and Paul goes from 3 times to 150 and all 3 times in which Paul is mentioned are at the very end of chapter 8, the end of that section and suddenly there's Paul mentioned 3 times. He's nowhere in the first seven chapters, and only at the very end of the eighth chapter. Okay, so, tell me about this transition period. Now, in the transition, here we go. Peter is mentioned 36 times, his name is mentioned 36 times, and Paul's name occurs 10 times.
0: Okay, so we're seeing this chain, this
1: shift. Yes, the shift. Now, you can do the same thing... With some other features of these two big sections and the center one, for example, where geographically is the action in the first eight chapters? You gotta tell me. Jerusalem. Okay. It's all in Jerusalem. Where is the geographical action in the last section from 13 to 28? All over the Roman Empire, from Antioch all the way to Rome, and he talks about going beyond Rome. Where is, uh, where is the action, um, w- with whom is the action in the first eight chapters? Jews. Okay. How many Gentiles are there in the first eight chapters? I bet zero. Zero. Yeah. Zero. A lot of people read Acts 2, and you read about um, Phrygians and Egyptians and, and Arabians and all... And people think, okay, it is a mixed and ethnically mixed. They were all Jews. They were Jews from Ethiopia. They were Jews from Egypt. They were Jews from Mesopotamia. The point is, they were all Jews. And and if you read that text carefully, it makes the point. Jews from, from all the nations on earth, where were they? They were in Jerusalem. Why? It was Pentecost. It was a Jewish feast day. The Old Testament Requires the law requires that every Jew go to Jerusalem for three festivals every year, Passover, Pentecost, and I believe a uh, Day of Atonement. Okay? okay, it's Pentecost. The law requires that Jews observe it. Now, now by the time you get to the New Testament and the diaspora, and they're spread all over the world, as opposed to living in in the land of Israel, mm-hmm. and that's almost impossible for them to do. What the rabbis said was you should at least once in your lifetime observe all three of those one time in Jerusalem. So at some point in your lifetime, travel to Jerusalem for Pentecost. At some point in your lifetime, for Passover, etc. Okay. Now, think of this. They had traveled, Jews from all over the Roman Empire had traveled to Jerusalem for Passover. One of the other ones that is a holy convocation, that's the term, that they're supposed to do at least once in their lifetime, is Pentecost. Pentecost occurs 50 days after Passover. So they showed up for Passover to check that box off. Hey, listen, as long as I bought my airline tickets and reserved a motel, I may as well stick around another 50 days and and check off Pentecost. Right. Which is why there were Jews from all over the world. The point is, in Acts 2, there are no Gentiles. Mm. Where else is there a Gentile in the first eight chapters? Most people will say the Ethiopian eunuch. He wasn't a Gentile. Mm. He was from Ethiopia. Just like I'm a Scandinavian. I've never been to Norway or Sweden in my life. (laughs) He was an Ethiopian eunuch because he was a resident of Ethiopia. Where had he, when Philip comes across the Ethiopian eunuch, where had the Ethiopian been? He'd been at the temple. Oh, interesting! Doing what? Worshiping. If he's a Gentile, he can't be in the temple. What was he reading when Philip came across him? The scroll of Isaiah. Right. A Gentile wouldn't be reading. This guy was Jewish, who lived in Ethiopia and had traveled to Jerusalem. There are no Gentiles in the first eight chapters.
0: Interesting. So then we hit that transition
1: period. No, let's go to the. Let's go okay, to the. Other, let's go okay. to the other part first. Um, are there Gentiles in the last major section from 13? Yeah, they're all over the place. Yeah. They're all, Now, there are still Jews, um, but there are loads and loads of Gentiles. And in fact, Paul does his ministry in this last big section. How do the Jews respond to Paul's ministry? Not, not loving it. Not loving it. Yeah. They beat him up and leave him for dead on the road outside <laughs> the town. They throw him in jail. Mm. So there are still Jews... But they are not without exception. There are exceptions. But but by and large, Judaism rejects Paul and the gospel that he preaches. Okay. The Gentiles, well, some of them are not huge fans either, but much more receptivity. What do we have in the center transitional section? Do we have Jews? Mm, yes. Yes. Yeah. Do we have Gentiles? Also, uh, yes. yes. <laughs> so that we have all of it. In Israel, 99% of it in Jerusalem. In the second section, we have all of the empire. In the first section, we have all Jews. In the third section, the second big section, we have Jews and Gentiles all over the place. In the transition, we have exactly what we would expect in a transition. We have both Peter and Paul. We have both Jews and Gentiles. And we have Jerusalem and a spread outward from Jerusalem including as far as Antioch up north, where there's a congregation of Jews and Gentiles, yeah. a mixed congregation. So it is, it is just very clearly a structure between uh, chapter 1 and chapter 28 with these two big sections and this short little transition in between. Now the question becomes, why? Is that coincidence? Or was that Luke's intent? Sometimes when I sit down to write something which nobody writes anymore when i <laughs> you can't even say i type anymore when i when I sit down to key something into my laptop, <laughs> which is so awkward, sometimes i don't know where this is headed. I just start going mm-hmm. the uh the writers of the Bible not so much right Luke had a plan when he went when he sat down and he tells us um in, in my first book, I wrote all that Jesus began to say and to do. Now I want to tell you, he had a plan when he began this book. And when we look at the statistics of this, when we look at the forest, not just the trees, we can see what he was doing. The question is why? What did he want Theophilus to see? and, and, and if we can figure out what God what the, um, excuse me, what Luke wanted Theophilus to see in the book of Acts. We're going to do the same thing now with the Gospel of Luke because they're Volume 1 and 2. And then we're going to ask the question, what did Luke want Theophilus to see in the two-volume work that is Luke and Acts? So let's let's ask the question, what did Luke want Theophilus to see? And how can we reverse-engineer this by looking at the structure?
0: And this would be important because this would help illuminate to us what what the big A author is trying to say over the course of exactly, these two books. Exactly, exactly. Right. Because okay.
1: whatever Luke wanted to accomplish with Theophilus, God wants to accomplish with us. Right. What was it? Well, isn't that fascinating? <laughs> and I don't know if we can go there or not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Don't get us into trouble, Craig. No, no <laughs> I'm going to try not to.
1: But, but if the, not if since the Book of Acts takes this trip from Paul uh, from Peter to Paul, from Jew to Gentile, from Jerusalem to the Kingdom. And if that was clearly Luke's intent, and I, I think we have to say that, that that's the structure, um, and, and that Luke started out with that intent. If that was Luke's intent, of what benefit is that?
0: Mm-hmm. Right, because knowledge,
1: of that application, yeah. has no real purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So... In the Old Testament, um, and that's I'm, I'm using that term it probably I don't know, it's not the best, but but it's clear when you read the Old Testament, Israel was God's special people. I mean, there's just too many passages. Mm-hmm. Exodus 19, "If you will obey my voice, uh, hear me and obey my voice, then you will be for me a treasured possession above all the nations, although all the nations of the earth are mine, you will be my treasured nation." Mm-hmm. Um, and and he repeats that in Deuteronomy. God clearly had a special relationship with Israel that placed them above, it, uh, you understand what I mean when I use that word, above all the other nations on the earth. Is that the case now? If it, When you read the Old Testament, there were, uh, there were Gentiles who became the followers of God. How did they do that? They became what we call proselytes. They mm-hmm. joined themselves to Israel. Right, and Paul talks about that in Romans
0: Nine, I believe, when he says, not just the offspring of Abraham, but the spiritual offspring of Abraham.
1: OK, I'm not gonna sure I'm buying what you're selling, but'll <laughs> we'll, leave, we'll leave that for another conversation. But the point is that if you were a member of Israel in the Old Testament, you enjoyed Privileges and benefits that didn't accrue to the rest of the world. Sure. And if they wanted a part of those, they had to join Israel. Right. And they went through a very specific and laid out process to do that, that include learning Torah, learning the law, um, circumcision. There was a ceremonial baptism that they went through. There's all kinds of steps that they had to go through. Mm -hmm. Okay. To become a member of Israel. What is, the, what is the, the situation now? Are we required to become a part of the nation of Israel? No. 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 In We've fact, adopted. Paul makes it very clear that there's now no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Right. You could not say that in the book of Exodus. There was clearly a difference. Yeah. Moses was not going to say there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile.
0: No, in fact, most of the Old Testament was reinforcing or defending that distinction.
1: Yes. Yeah. And and promising blessings that would come to Israel because they were God's special people. Um, in, in the book of Zechariah, I think it's chapter 14, it says, 10 men, it, looking to the future, 10 men will take a hold of the skirt of one Jew and say, take us to the Lord for we understand that he dwells with you. See, they, the Gentile the Gentiles could, could become the children of God, but only through the nation Israel, right. through the mediatorial work of the nation of Israel. Now, the question is, if it's different now than it was then, when did that change take place? When did God set aside His special relationship with Israel and begin dealing with Jew and Gentile Equally, it's it's clearly very different now than it was then, and the Bible tells us it's very different.
0: Would it? So the two options that come to my mind are Pentecost and Cornelius and Peter's vision. All right, guys. We try to keep these short and sweet. Uh, we are on a roll here. We're in the thick of it, so we want to be able to keep going and get you guys some some more uh, some more stuff to chew on. So we will come at you with a part two, and we'll see you there.